Welcome to the next episode of the Bravo Zulu podcast. I'm your host, Robin, from D4H. And each week I interview people from across the emergency response world, whether it's from corporate crisis, from public safety, um, volunteers, professionals, and all different walks of life from all around the globe. This week we're talking to John Fitzgerald from the Channel Islands Air Search Unit. We record these podcasts live. We, we do them as a live stream on YouTube. And this week we had some streaming difficulties where um, our audio and video got out of sync. And to be honest, it was a little bit of a mess. We've done our best to piece it together here for the podcast. Um, and it, it actually turns into quite a nice little listen. So apologies if the end cut short, um, but uh, it, the, the content is still there and still well worth a listen. You can get these podcasts on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts from. And we look forward to seeing you next week when we speak to Sar Topo about how they use GIS systems to find missing people. Enjoy John from the Channel Islands this week. So firstly, John, uh, the Channel Islands Air Search where are the Channel Islands? Well, there's a little bay uh, called the Bay of St. Marlow, but people probably know us better by being south of the UK. Um, so there's a group of uh, four or five islands, two large ones, Guernsey and, and the one we don't talk about, Jersey. Um, and it's situated in a really lovely area. So you've got, you can see on that sort of map, you've got sort of France off to the right. And there are close neighbours. Uh, I mean, 25 miles and uh, you can be having lunch in Dillette uh, in sort of half an hour in a reasonable boat. Uh, not Sadly, not at the moment with COVID. Um, the UK is a good 60 miles sort of further north of us, though. Okay. Um, but we're, we're the, the centre island in amongst the Channel Islands themselves. Gotcha. Amazing. And so you're, as an operation, you're then working with the French rescue authorities, the English rescue authorities and the Channel Island rescue authorities. Is that what happens? Um, yeah, that's right. I mean, we look after an area of about 4,000 square miles. Um, so we can be called on by Cross uh, Cross Joburg, which is in the top right of the screen there, or and so running down to Brest, uh, which was, is uh, Cross Corsen. I found this, this image on your website. Um, so that kind of gives people a, that's the UK on the the, that's it. the north end there, is it? That's, yes, that's uh, right. Let's look at that a bit bigger. Talk us through that. That's your range with the with the plane or the last uh, plane. The, the, um, the timings you see on the screen there are actually the times from call out to get to that particular position. Um, so when, when, when the call out goes off. Uh... John, for people who missed this, what we were talking about just there, was uh, your range and so we were looking at here's from where you can uh your your from page your 50 minutes uh just over 50 minutes to the coast of france and yep. just one hour to the uk that's it absolutely so what i was saying was well let's let's go back what is what is it so tell me about your aircraft um, let's bring up a picture of it here Okay, one in the dark there. Um, we've got a brand new Britain Norman Islander. Uh, and they've been building them for just over 50 years now. Uh, and they still have them on the production line. So this one is literally just flown 100 hours in total time. 
but it's been built built specifically for us. It's got a lot of really good roll kit on board and the sort of engines we like, uh, and, and painted a, a different color to the previous aircraft. So we've gone for more internationally recognized colors uh, for a search and rescue asset. You, yeah, you had a previous plane. I, I saw something in the news about it, it 2013. Is that right? Like that. Yes, that's right. Yes, there was a, an unfortunate incident which the crew all walked away from without any scratches, which is very good. Which is amazing. Mm. Um, and so this is the replacement coming in. It is. Yes, absolutely. We've been using her now since uh, probably March uh, this year. Um, and she's, she's provided a really stable, really smooth platform for us to work from. Excellent. So what what happens why do you get paid what do, what do you do why do you guys we well, said yeah you, you sort of uh, sort of said it a bit in your title we, we we you know we go out as the lifeboats eyes in the skies uh, as a landmass we're we're not very big i mean guernsey itself is 25 square miles it doesn't take a huge amount of time to sort of whiz around there but but we've also got 4000 square miles of sea and a very popular area for uh, people who like to go boating with the coastline of France being very close and lots of little islands around the area, yeah. uh, it's an idyllic spot for people to go sailing or go off in their ribs or their, uh, their motor cruisers. Um, not so much this year, but uh, but there's also a lot of people out there who enjoy paddleboarding and kayaking and adventures, uh, lots of sea swimming as well. Uh, and and so, talk me through a call out. How do you are, are the team staged anywhere? Are they at home? Yeah, we're all we're all yeah we are all volunteers. We all sort of have our own sort of day to day jobs to do. Uh, I take photographs. I've got one who's an insurance broker. Uh, we've got a few pilots uh, for for the various airlines over here. Uh, so people come from all over the place. We just look for a, an enthusiasm to sort of be part of the team, okay. uh, and a willingness to sort of take part in the training. Um, but uh, from the call out, and we use the um, we use the Everbridge system. Uh, which the uh, our local government subscribe to, and we we sort of form form part of that. Uh, so we get called out by that, and nothing is really more than ten minutes away from the airport over here. Uh, the, as I say, the island's twenty five square miles, seven miles by five miles, uh, in a bit of a triangle. So getting getting here is quite quick. Um, if it's a nighttime chat, we have to wait for the fire brigade, and we have to wait for the air traffic in both the islands to come in and activate the uh, the uh, control zone. Uh, yeah. But during the daytime, we can we can leave pretty much uh, as soon as we're ready with the aircraft. And and so, imagine this picture now: the team are arriving, or the crew are arriving. What makes up the complement of the crew? Uh, we take five on board. Uh, what is a single single crew uh, aircraft? So just one pilot. Yeah. Uh, the person sitting next to him has a little bit of training in uh, working with the checklists to help the pilot. So okay. he'll read out. He'll read out the checklist, and the pilot will confirm what he's doing. Uh, behind him is what we call the search director. Now he has uh, two computers in there, one which has some mapping software and one which has the radar, and they can be swapped around. So the one, the one you can see with the map on at the moment can also show the uh, the the, uh, the feed from the thermal camera uh, that's sitting okay. underneath the nose of the aircraft. And, and so uh, I, I think that, tell tell me about that camera now. I think I've got a picture here of one of your the older. Uh, that's the older planes. Yeah, that's the Inframetrics Mark III, uh, Quantum Mark III that we, we had. We've now also progressed and we're using a West, Westcam MX-10, uh, which is sort of a few generations beyond this one in, in its stability and the amount of information it gives. 
I mean, one of the uh, one of the nicest bits about it, it's got an internal management unit, so it tells you uh, the distance, the height, and the exact location of what you're looking at. Got you. So, um, for, for people who who are just listening on audio, they can picture it's like a ball underneath the uh, sphere underneath the aircraft. Yes, and got, it it'll rotate around. It can move up and down, and then you've got the multiple cameras in it for day and night. It. Yes, absolutely. So it's got infrared, it's got full color, and it's got what they call a low light camera as well. So if I'm if I'm the, would you call them the search manager behind the pilot? Is the search the, director, yeah. The search director. They're, they're able to look at that camera. What's the zoom like on that? What are they? Um, it's difficult to quantify. It, it it says it sort of does a 300 times zoom. Now that's in that's in their terms, but we can um, we can sort of zoom right into people uh, a mile away and uh, sort of pretty much fill the screen with them. So I think I've, uh, again, off from your website here, um, an example of a FLIR image of a... That's it. So down at the bottom right of there, you can see the distance. I mean, that one was probably quite close, just uh, just under half a mile away. And so you, you're you out there. What, what's your brief? We're, we're, we've turned up at the base. What, what information are you told? What are you asked to do? We're given a little bit of information on the Everbridge message. So we know whether it's going to be a land-based search or a sea-based search and who's looking after us, whether it's the french or it's jersey or it's guernsey mm -hmm. um so we have some idea what we're going to be letting ourselves into when we um we get to the airfield the search director will then call the coast guard and get much more detail out of him uh so sort of much much more sort of uh, precise uh, areas they actually want us to search um while the rest of the crew just get ready uh the pilot will do a pre-flight pre on the aircraft uh and then we'll roll the aircraft out ready to go and you you've a couple of things like um yellow or red status is that yeah so the yellow status is it's um they're not quite well, i say not quite sure they'd like us to be ready just in case they need us mm -hmm. uh, uh, the red one is uh we get there and we sort of get airborne as quickly as we possibly can okay and and so the plane gets what's the steps of that the plane gets rolled out of the hangar um yep. the, the the person we were talking there about uh the person sitting beside the pilot here i guess in the right hand seat is it yes is that they're going through the checklists they what's are. the search director doing at that point he's probably starting to sort of plot the search patterns on the uh, software now his israel uses some uh, marine software uh it's called c pro by euronav and okay. i think it's i think it's used by the coast guard uh, as well uh which and one of the things we we reason we bought it it had a very good method of, of plotting a search pattern very quickly uh, you basically sort of give it a start point and a stop point and it lays the pattern out and you yeah. can then edit you can then edit with track length and track width gotcha um, okay and and so can that is that pattern sent up to the pilot or yeah if you at the top of the screen there you can see a small square box uh, in front of the pilot yes, that one there, yeah. that's it that's basically a, a just a repeater that a marine repeater but what it will do it will give him a distance to go to the waypoint and a cross track error as well as a course to steer Excellent. so he can actually fly a very very precise course with that so so our course director is doing that they're planning the the the, the pattern they're i assume are they navigating as well or is that only, only in the respect that um, the they're, they're, they're making sure that the pilot is following the search pattern on, on, on his map. Uh, but they're also communicating with whoever's tasked us to go out uh, on that particular search. Okay, so they're doing the communications. You're all on headsets with internal comms. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, 
when I, I come back a little bit further in the plane, and these are great photos for everyone to see. I, was, I think the audio cut there earlier, I was thanking Terry for the idea of this, of, of putting in photos um, when we're talking through it. Uh, so if you are listening to the podcast, jump on the YouTube version if you'd like to see any of the visuals. Um, so what's this seat? We're back again. We can see here the pilot. We can see the person sitting beside the pilot. He's yep. doing the checklist. We can see the search director. And now another part back in the plane, what are we looking at? That's it. So we've got what we call the P5 seat, which is where the flare operator sits. Um, so the bottom screen is the feed directly from the camera. And the uh, screen above holds a different sort of mapping software. Uh, it's the cart nav software uh, or the Ames HD by cart nav. And it's, I have to say, it's one of the best bit of mapping software I've ever come across. It's so responsive to work with. Uh, you can do so much with it. You can put any form of mapping or charts on it that you, that you want to. Uh, in this case, we've got an Admiralty chart on it and we've overlaid it with a Monch grid. And, and what are they doing in that seat? Um, so basically they just control the camera um, and you can control the camera from the hand controller that, that comes with it or you can control it with the mapping software. So if you can see an AIS target on that on that screen, you can click on it and the camera will swing around onto it. Ah, excellent. So you can you you can touch the map on the screen and yeah. the camera zooms in on that point and gives you a visual, which Absolutely. is fantastic. So um so is and does that overlay with radar or anything as well or no, the radar is a separate unit, and we at the moment we we were, we were, we've been looking at trying to work out whether it will integrate with it. Um, but it the radar we use doesn't have the right uh, signal to go to our software to be able to translate the information. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but uh, probably the more sophisticated radars uh, is uh, no problem at all uh, with that software. So I think we've covered four roles. Who's the fifth? Um, the chap in the in the left left hand seat next to the the flare operator. Um, so he is basically uh, one of our observers. So pilot, search director, and three observers. Yeah. Uh, so front right, rear right, and rear left. Uh, the rear left has got a bubble window he can look out of, so he can Excellent. look right underneath the aircraft. Uh, and forward him, he also has a flare chute, so we carry smoke flares yep. uh, for daytime, and they have a burn of about three minutes. So if we're out at sea... And we see and we see something we want to come back to so relatively easily we can uh, we can just fly a pattern and drop that smoke at the right point how do they get dropped out is there's a shoot there's a, there's, there's a there's a flare there's a tube built into the floor of the aircraft and it's, it's basically it's sort of the flare hangs there on a pin and there's yep. a plunger and you just push it down and it ignites it and drops the flare oh excellent so they're preloaded under the aircraft uh, no, or we no. load them manually as we as we need them. In, from inside. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and at night and at night time we carry a um, an LED strobe, um, which is not only does it flash SOS in red, uh, which is visible from six to ten kilometers, but it also has infrared LEDs in there, so we can see it with the thermal camera as well. Wow! Brilliant. Yeah, it, it it sounds excellent. And so your what's your your mission would be? I mean, what are, what are the typical missions? Missing person, missing ship, vessel, uh, vessel sinking, get over and get a visual. What kind of tasks are you doing? Um, it could be all sorts. I mean, more and more uh, our searches are becoming land based now, uh, with what they call people of concern. Mm -hmm. um, but we still we still do quite a lot of marine work. Um, so we've had a, a ditched aircraft at the beginning of last year. We've had um, reports of uh, aircraft crashing. It wasn't, but they, they weren't. It was just um, somebody misinterpreted what they saw. 
Um, just recently, we had what we thought were possible immigrants. Um, a, a vessel had seen an overloaded boat, so we went looking for that. Uh, so it could be anything, um, anything wherever there's a life in danger, uh, then then we can be called out to it. Yeah. Have you seen many of the sort of immigrant vessels that are they're starting to appear in the news? You're just probably out of the way a little bit of that, are you? That have yeah, to be off course. Yeah, very much so. Thank, yeah. Thankfully, thankfully, no. Um, but we, but we are aware that that's a possibility that may well happen because we are really very close to the French coast. Jersey's yeah. even closer. It's only about twenty miles. Okay. They just don't understand the tidal streams around there, unfortunately. Uh, and what's it like working? I mean, for in the difference with the. I mean, working with the French RCCs or the HM Coast Guard or Jersey or Guernsey, what, what, what are there differences in how they'd run missions? Maybe a little bit. I mean, obviously you've got the language, but, uh, but they, you know, the French do speak English uh, mm -hmm. for us, which is, which is sort of very helpful. Um, and they are, they are very efficient. I mean, we've been over to the, uh, the Coast Guard centers um, in France and they're, they're amazing places to see the amount of equipment they've got there sort of monitoring all the shipping going on. Yeah. And it's becoming very, very sophisticated. Um, but no, they understand how we work and we understand how they work. And the two sort of two systems mesh together very, very, very nicely. When you go out to do a search then, um, and you're coming up with that search pattern, so the computer probably does a lot of maybe that spacing and stuff, but what are you taking into account when the differences, if you're looking for a person in the water or a vessel or mm. what are the yeah. differences in how you operate uh, with 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 our waters we, we've got a 10 meter tidal tidal uh, difference um so it's quite considerable mm. and we also have a tidal flow which can reach six or seven knots on the extreme so okay. things can happen very very fast out there so you have to bear in mind what the wind is doing and what the tides are doing when you actually sort of to create your uh, search pattern uh, which side of it is the best side to start uh, bearing in mind what the sun is doing with the reflection on the water when you're looking out of the window yeah. as well um, so the search director has got to sort of bring all these sort of things into mind uh, to to be able to cover the area as effectively as possible and and so do you, do you fly at a different height if it's a larger object than a we smaller do, yeah. object I mean how does that all work how do you person in the water yeah, with the person in the water, we we can we can go down to about two hundred and fifty feet, um, if if it's a live shout. The the current zero regulations brought in by um, CAA and EASA sort of make it uh, more difficult to train uh, below five hundred feet. Mm -hmm. um, but but we do have a derogation from that, so we can go down to to hundred feet to drop a smoke flare. Uh, which can be a little bit exciting sometimes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, if it's a th if, it, if we're using the camera for a search, then we'll, we'll sit at 1,500, 2,000 feet, um, which is far more comfortable. Is is there any particular terminology to aviation, SAR, that others might not know? Um, as in, do you have certain language for objects, for communicating internally? Is there anything that you, you have that might be a bit different? No, I think probably the only thing we do differently to what I heard from the Coast Guard, they um, they, they, they sort of, if they find what they're looking for, they sort of say visual, visual, visual. We, we just sort of say contact um, like that. So it's a bit more, bit more sort of brief, um, but, but it's, but it's, a, it's a very defined word that everybody will understand. So we, if we see something in the water, we'll sort of shout out, go right, 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 contacts, contact to 10 o'clock. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Contact. Did, did, to bring your crew up to sort of spec to go out, what do they have to do? I mean, if I join tomorrow, 
Mm. What do I go through in stages to get out on in the air? Well, you're on a six month probation. Um, mm -hmm. We need to sort of find out whether you're going to sort of um, to be part of the team and sort of show your willingness to join in with the training and go flying. Uh, we have some mandatory uh, safety briefs. So we have a hangar safety brief. We have an aircraft safety brief. Uh, just so everybody understands exactly what's involved, where all the fire precautions, all the risks that could be involved in sort of walking around the hangar. You, you don't want to walk under the wing into the pitot tube because mm -hmm. it'll make a nasty hole in you. Um, and so they, they, they understand precisely what they can and what they can't do for, the, for their own personal safety. And in the aircraft as well, they, they, they're sort of given a very detailed um, guide over everything that's in the aircraft that relates to safety and, and the operation of the aircraft. Yeah. Uh, do do um, what kind of courses do the people need to do? Is there like a sea survival course or anything to fly over water? How does it? Uh, if, if those, those who are enthusiastic enough can do it, uh, we we try not to go in the water too much if we can help it. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I've I've done it once, and um, occasionally we'll go and we'll go and do a dunker trip as well. Used yeah. To be able to, they, they might still be there, but um, I've not done that one myself, and I've got no intention of doing it. <laughs> But there's some brave souls, brave souls amongst the crew who've uh, who've actually been there and done the, the helicopter crash simulations, and uh, they've all come back saying never again. <laughs> Very good. Um, what, what does a normal training exercise look like for you then? A training exercise, I mean, something could be just geographical awareness uh, mm -hmm. because uh, the Channel Islands have got lots of rocks and little islands all over the place. So it's nice to show them on a nice day uh, where the minkies are or where the ekrahos are, uh, where the paternosters are. Um, and, you know, show them the various boys. They might be said, well, we're going to be searching around the lower heads. Um, so we go and show them all those sorts of places. Um, we'll we try and make it as constructive and as usable for everybody as possible. So the pilot will get uh, his practice at uh, flying search patterns and make sure he can actually fly uh, straight lines and turn the corner properly. Um, the search director gets his opportunity to train with the radar and, and setting up the, uh, the navigation software. Um, the guy in the rear, rear left seat will have his opportunity to drop smoke flares. Uh, so that, again, that gives the pilot an opportunity to position the aircraft and try and drop the smoke accurately. Mm -hmm. Um, and the chap in the uh, on the flare station gets the opportunity to practice with the software, which is fairly complex if you're not used to it. But once once you're there, there's so many features in it to be able to give you a really good report at the end of it. Um, how how, uh, how often are people training? What's the kind of requirements to save hours? We well we fly we fly probably once or twice a week. Um, so we we keep a cap on the crew of twenty, including the pilots. Uh, beyond that, it gets difficult to keep everybody current. Mm -hmm. um, so the pilots pilots will go off and do their own individual training as well um, because they need this. The the kit up the front is so much more advanced and never used to be. A, a lot more electronics uh, for them to, to work with. Um, the rest of the crew tend to go up once or twice in a week uh, for a flight. And then we will have Monday evening sessions in the hangar where we sort of work through uh, one part of the uh, what we do, whether it could be sort of working, sort of showing them how to use the software, um, just a brief on what updates there are to the aircraft, talking about searches we've been on and what lessons we could learn from those. And, and I think I saw your you, uh, average, is it something like 100 searches a year or? No, no, thankfully no. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought I saw that 60. No, where did I see in a number? It, it might have been it, in, in the early days when uh, boats used to go out and they didn't have GPSs and bits and bobs like that, then we might be called out sort of 40-odd times a year. Okay. 
to go for those. Um, in terms of looking for things, probably only about 2% of all call-outs or calls to the Coast Guard are related to boats with, in, in sort of, like I probably call it imminent danger, there might be a man overboard or they could be drifting yeah. onto rocks. There's a lot of calls of good intention. Yeah. Uh, and there's an awful lot of breakdowns, which we're not necessarily needed for because they know where sure. they are. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. There's a question in here. I think I can show it on the screen. So if you can read that, I don't know if if you know James or 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 not. This question you have to answer this question without mentioning D4H. Mm. <laughs> so, um, how does John find it managing crew as a volunteer with the use of technology? Well, we've got a really good sort of bunch of crew now. Um, we've got um, some some guys who come from some relevant backgrounds. We've got a chap who uh, was on the Coast Guard, and he's not sorry, he's, he's moved over to Guernsey to work over here. We've got uh, guys who were with the St. John Inshore lifeboat, so they've got a lot of sort of that sort of knowledge, the relevant knowledge. Yeah. Uh, and we've got uh, people who sort of flew tactically in the RAF. Um, so they, they again, they've got a very good mindset and, and can can pick up all this sort of information very mm -hmm. quickly. Very good. Oh, so uh, that's really fascinating um, discussion. Is there anything? I've got one last question for you, which is kind of mm. about the future of of this and where does it go, and what technology we're going to see. But is there anything else that you think people might be interested in that I've missed? Um. No. <laughs> Sorry, caught me, on, caught, me on, caught me on the hop there. No, that's perfect. Okay. So. Um, you can cut that for, bit out. No, I, no, no, absolutely not. So um, I'll, I'll wrap up with where does this service go in the future? Is it drones, UAVs? What technology is just unaffordable to make it worthwhile doing this with at the moment? It's going to come down in price. Um, what are we going to? What are we going to see next? I think I mean our, our service itself cost um, about two point seven million pounds to for this particular aircraft to get mm -hmm. it up and running into the uh, into the state it is at the moment. I think for the future, I think you're going to probably be looking more and more at satellite technology in the next sort of ten or fifteen years. I think there'll be a lot more satellite searching. Yeah, uh, they're using it for oil oil um, you know oil slick management at the moment. So they just look for the slicks on the sea and then send an aircraft out to it. Um, and I think with the technology on board the boats, with their sort of SARSATs and COMSATs and the sort of uh, communication technology, I think satellite satellites will be become much more to the fore. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I completely agree. And I think it's going to go down an automated route as well, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Of um, um, how do you describe it? Where it, it'll automatically look for the objects from the satellite rather yeah. than even humans still, processing it. I was going to say, you still need eyes out of the window on occasion. Uh, they're, they're probably one of the most effective tools in a, in a search. We got cut off there at this point in the live stream. Um, but at this point, John, I was next asking John about how do they fund such a service? And he was telling me about the hard work of their fundraising division who pieced together hundreds of thousands of pounds a year to keep the service running not to mention purchasing the aircraft in the first place. That was a great listen. Um, join us next week. We're speaking to Sar Topo about uh, GIS software and how they use it to find missing people. I'm Robin. I've been your host this week. You can find the Bravo Zulu podcast on all of your favorite podcast hosts. Thank you.